0: Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 42. There we find God's Word summarized as follows. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and, mob- and robbery, But also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this eighth, in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. The concentration this afternoon will especially be on that last sentence of Answer 110. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts And also the last part of 1.11, so that I may be able to give to those in need. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 13, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we are going to deal with a very sensitive topic. We would rather avoid it it's too private a matter. And you know what that topic is, it deals with your money, your possessions, the way you spend your money or the way you do not spend your money. And yet it is a necessary topic, for that is what the Eighth Commandment deals with. It deals with your wallet, with your spending money, with your investment portfolio, with the property that you own. These are very private matters. You would be quite disturbed if at a home visit the ward elder would ask you about your possessions and what you do with them. As far as we are concerned, as long as we give the required amount each month to the church and put some change in the collection bag, we're doing our duty. For the rest, it's none of anybody's business. Don't inquire any further. And yet we must. Why? Because it is the Lord's business. It's His business to hold you accountable for what you do with your possessions. We and everything we own belong to Him. And that is clear already from the preamble to the Ten Words of the Covenant. For how does the Lord God begin the Ten Words of the Covenant? He says, I am the Lord your God. In other words... Your God is speaking. And I, the Lord your God, am the one who says, You shall not steal. The Lord God, He who owns everything, lock, stock, and barrel, is speaking. He owns you and your wallet and your house and your car and even the clothes on your back. Everything. Nothing excluded. It all belongs to him. For that reason, we should never separate the commandment from that preamble. And he says to us that he will hold us responsible for the way we use that which belongs to him. Our possessions do not come from a stranger. They are given to you by our covenant God. The God who wants to share his glory with us, his eternity with us. By the God who gave you his only son. By the God who loves us. By the God who loves you. You know what the fulfillment of the law is. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. By nature we are lovers of self not of God and not of others. The Lord knows that about us. It is for that very reason that he gives us this commandment. He wants us to remember at all times that the Lord God is the one who willingly shares with us his riches. And that therefore we must also be willing to share our riches. In other words, we should not be greedy and also share with the needy. That's also the theme for this afternoon's sermon. The Catechism says that God forbids all greed. The Catechism comes with two proof texts. First of all, Luke 12, verse 15, where the Lord Jesus says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And secondly, the catechism points to Ephesians 5 verse 5, where the apostle Paul says, for of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Warning against greedy, being greedy. What makes a person greedy? Well, it has to do, no doubt, with his or her spirituality. And that's also what the Apostle Paul noted with regard to the Corinthians. They had been slipping in their zeal for the Lord. They had promised to do certain things, but they did not keep their promise. They had promised, for example, to contribute to the poor in Jerusalem. And it had been a year since they had made that promise, but now it appears that they reneged on that promise. The Corinthians used all the right words, but their actions were not in accordance with their words. In verse 10 of chapter 8, Paul speaks about their desire, the desire that they had in the previous year to give to the poor in Jerusalem. But nothing came of it. It saddens him. And so they need to be set straight. He needs to gently rebuke them. For there's lots of good things about the Corinthians as well. And so he speaks to them in a positive and in an upbuilding way. He knows that they are a sinful people. But he also knows that God is powerfully at work in their hearts. It's very instructive, the way in which he motivates them. Paul knows that we have all kinds of excuses not to give. That's the way it is with everybody, you and I as well. For example, we will put off giving because our circumstances are not favorable enough. First, we have to pay off our mortgage, or the market has to be a little bit more secure and maybe then I'll give some money. Or, it would be better if we wait until the kids are out of school. Or, let's wait until the business takes off. I can't really make any financial commitments until then. And so the list can go on and on as to the reason why we do not want to give at the moment. You'll have to wait. Circumstances aren't right. The problem, however, does not lie with our specific circumstances, but it lies with our ingrained greed. Paul discovered the same thing with regard to the Corinthian churches. They had a problem with giving. No doubt they made all kinds of excuses. And one of the main excuses would have been their own poverty. They had little or nothing to give. And for that reason, he uses the example of the Macedonian churches. And those were the churches who were in northern Greek, the churches at Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. And he tells the Corinthian believers about the difficult circumstances of their brothers and sisters in the Lord of that part in, the, in that part of the country. He says in verse 2 that those Macedonians suffered severe, severe trials. Paul knows what he is talking about, for when he writes this letter, he is actually writing it from Macedonia. He is in the midst of it. He knows their circumstances well. And he knows that from the very start, they encountered difficult problems. As soon as they became Christians, they encountered much opposition from their fellow citizens. And when Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, these people were still embroiled in persecution. And because of that persecution, they also suffered all kinds of financial difficulties. These new converts were not rich. On the contrary, as Paul says in verse 2, they were actually extremely poor. Paul uses a word here which refers to someone who has no assets of his own, who has no hope of acquiring them either. In those days, to become a Christian meant extreme hardships. Hardships which you and I can only begin to imagine. In the world of that day, if you wanted to ply your trade, then you had to belong to certain trade guilds. And when you belonged to such a guild, then you were expected to partake ...in all the activities associated with it. And each guild had its own god, its own idol whom you had to worship. And those new Christians wouldn't do that. And so they lost their jobs. Or they were not able to get a job within a certain trade for which they had been trained. These guilds are not the same as the unions of today. Yet they have some similarities... The god of the union union today is the mighty dollar. And if you do not worship that mighty dollar in the same way as the rest of those union members, then you might find yourself at the wrong end of the stick. Not all unions are the same. But with some of the militant unions of today, you might find yourself without a job if you don't toe the line or you may not get a job in the first place. Anyway, the Macedonians found themselves in dire straits because of the persecution they were suffering. Yet in spite of their austere circumstances, they nevertheless gave to the poor in Jerusalem, for they knew that those Judeans were even worse off than they. The question is, why would they do that? What was their motivation? Well, Paul refers to their giving as an act of grace. That's what it says in verse 6. And grace has to do with God's mercy. It has to do with the fact that God has richly blessed you. In spite of the fact that you deserve nothing. You deserve death and yet he gave you life. And He gives you everything necessary to sustain your life here on earth. And then to top it all off, He gave you eternal life. Do you know how joyful those Macedonian people were to hear that good news? These people in Macedonia were so overjoyed and extremely thankful for all that the Lord God had done for them that they could not help. But to give, it is out of that spirit of thankfulness and joy that they gave. They had the right spirit within them. Brothers and sisters, and that I also include you, boys and girls, those who are already earning some money. How joyful are you for the gift of salvation? Does that show? Look at how enthusiastic these Macedonians were. They even begged to be able to give. That's what it says in verse 4. He says that they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Can you imagine? Here you have these poor people, and yet they go after Paul, To make sure that they can participate in giving to the poor in Jerusalem. They did not want to be left out. They wanted all their fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord to know how deeply they cared. For you see the problem with the Christian Jews in Jerusalem was well known. They were well aware of it. They knew that if there was anywhere that the persecution came down upon the Christians, it was there. And so, those Macedonians wanted to give. Why? Because of the pressure from others? Because Paul urged them to? No, not at all. They gave not because of pressure, but because of grace. They had experienced the grace of God, and God put the right spirit within them. He moved them with his Holy Spirit so that they would also open up their hearts. And when the grace of God opens up your heart, then he will also open up your hands. The one cannot go without the other. The hand is the extension of the soul. And then when you give, you do not give because you figured it out on a cold, inanimate calculator, but because you pounded it in your heart, a heart set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And the Macedonians gave from a warm heart. And now after having used the example of the Macedonian Christians, Paul gives another example, an even better one. A much better one. He gives the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He is not referring here in the first place about the economic circumstances of the Lord Jesus Oh, sure, when he was born in the little town of Bethlehem, he could not be counted among the rich. The circumstances of his birth were austere. And when he grew up, he could not be counted among the rich either. He was a carpenter's son. Also during his Galilean ministry, he reminded a would-be disciple that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Luke 9, verse 58. What then does the poverty of the Lord Jesus Christ refer to? It refers to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was rich beyond imagination while he was still with his Father in heaven. The world was his footstool. Indeed, the whole universe was. And he gave it all away. He spent himself... Of his, he, he took away of himself from his power and glory and majesty, and he became a lowly man. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He laid all the great riches that he had with the Father aside. He left the throne and became a servant. And while on earth he had to suffer terrible humiliation... He had to suffer the agony on the cross. He had to suffer the, he had to suffer the indignity of being totally abandoned. Not only by man, but by the Father Himself. He became the poorest of the poor when He suffered His hellish agony. For to suffer hell is to suffer eternal poverty. When you are in hell, you have nothing you do not even have the comfort of others and above all you do not even have the comfort of God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ paid an enormous price when he came to earth in the flesh and when he died for our sins when he allowed himself to be abandoned by man and by God. Why did he allow these things to happen to him? Well, as Paul says, so that you and I, so that we might become rich, so that we can share in God's riches, so that we can have eternal life. Instead of being slaves to Satan, we are now children of God. Do you know what a privilege it is to be a child of God, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Listen to what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Should that then not move us to share with others? If God has so richly blessed us, should we then not be generous with what we have been given? If you don't, You're a thief. You sin against the Eighth Commandment. But what does exactly that refer to? Does it only refer to the sharing of spiritual blessings? That's what some people think. They will gladly tell others about their faith life and share that with them. They don't mind telling their fellow workers that they go to church and why. They don't mind being busy with all kinds of spiritual things. They don't mind being member of an evangelism committee or some other church committee. And it is true that you have to share your faith. You have to tell others about the glory of God and to believe in Him. But do you think that that's enough? Your words mean nothing if your words do not also translate into action and you also have to believe it from the heart and when thankfulness is in your heart then that will also be expressed with your hands with your handouts it's easy to come with pious talk Judas did that as well if you were to listen to him then you would think that he is the most pious person on earth for look at how concerned he was supposedly about the well-being of his poor neighbor he rebuked mary when she poured an expensive perfume on jesus's feet he said why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor it was a year's it was worth a year's wages no doubt at that time the rest of the disciples were quite impressed and so was everybody else except of course the lord jesus he could look right into his heart and his later actions also showed that in reality Judas was a thief. And that is why John also makes that editorial comment about him dipping into the coffers. It was all talk. He didn't really care about the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't care about his cause either. And he certainly didn't care about the poor. All Judas was interested in was himself. All he wanted to do was to manipulate public opinion. Judas was a selfish man, and he did things to receive praise from other men. He, want, he wanted others to see how good and how pious he was. But you know what happened in the end, don't you? In the end, he betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. In his heart, he was a greedy man, and all greedy people are thieves they hoard their possessions at the expense of their service to the Lord and their fellow man brothers and sisters none of us is perfect far from it we lack in every way we could never give in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ did but we must try we have to image him remember we are his image bearers through the Holy Spirit we are recreated in his image And that now also has to show in our lives. Also in the way that we deal with the Eighth Commandment. That's what the Macedonians did. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's what it says in verse 5. And this was a pleasant surprise for Paul. It showed that they had matured in their faith. When the world gives, it gives only to relieve suffering in the world. The world gives because they want to make the world a better place. But they leave God out of the picture. And when you leave God out of the picture, then your giving means very little, means very little. The Macedonians went beyond that. They gave, as it says, because of the Lord. They gave because they knew whatever possessions they had were given to them by the Lord God. They gave because they felt so blessed by God. What a rebuke to the Corinthians. The Corinthians too had been given God's grace. They too had been given every spiritual blessing. Paul also commends them for that. In verse 7 he says that they excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge in complete earnestness and in their love for Paul yet their abundance in spiritual gifts did not translate into a generous sharing of their material gifts but their material gifts were also from the Lord what was the mistake that they made well you see these Corinthians they thought that they were doing enough and they made excuses excuses They figured that they had abandoned their former way of life and had already made great sacrifices. And they also regularly came together to worship God. That should count for something, shouldn't it? And look at, Don't we have a strong faith? Indeed. And they also knew their stuff and they were able to speak about it at length as well. And furthermore, they had a great love for Paul who had come to them with the wonderful news of salvation through no merit of their own. What more could you expect? Well, brothers and sisters, our spiritual gifts cannot be a substitute for our physical gifts, our material gifts. That's true for me and for you. You may love the church You may love your elders. You may love your minister. You may know your confessions and your Bible backwards and frontwards. You may be active in church as a member of the school society or of a study society or as a member of the consistory or in some other capacity. But if that's the only contribution you make, then there is still something wrong. It's not enough. There are elders and deacons and also ministers who think that just because they are active in spiritual things, that therefore they are not obligated to give and to share with others. Well, that's not what I hear the Apostle Paul saying here. He actually says the opposite. He says that if you have all kinds of spiritual gifts to impart to others, then you of all people... Should be willing to give even more and be an example to others. It does not say here, however, that you must give beyond your means. No, listen to what it says in verse 13. Paul says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. It's not good when others are suffering badly, that when you are better off and you do not help them. Not in order to reverse roles, but in order to share your greater wealth. The Lord Jesus also says that you will always have the poor among you. It's a fact of life. But it should not be so with regard to our brothers and sisters That there are those who are suffering because of financial or other difficulties while others are in abundance. That may not happen in the church of God. Thankfully, as far as I know, this does not happen in this church either. We live in rich times. And therefore, we of all generations should also be generous. We should not be greedy and share with the needy. Not just the needy within the church who indeed do come first, but also with the needy outside of our church community. As I said in the beginning, we are dealing with a sensitive topic here. We're dealing with your wallet and my wallet. And with some people, if you touch their wallet, you touch their heart. Think about it. To whom does your heart and to whom does your wallet belong? Does it belong to the Lord? Then give generously. If you close your heart to your brother, how can the love of God live within you? Love God and your neighbor as yourself. That's also the fulfillment of this commandment. Amen.